Welcome to the latest episode of the Brush Builders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brush Builders Union, Simon Berman. This month, I am joined by the one and only Mel Bowes, the terrain tutor. Mel, thank you for joining me. How are you today? I'm not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Slowly on the up. Recovering from some dental work. So if I have a little bit of a lisp, I apologize. I'm sure it's fine. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better. Now, thanks so much for joining me. I've actually been wanting to talk to you for a long time. So I'm really excited to have you here today to talk about terrain essentials and YouTube and everything you do. Well, there's plenty to talk about, that's for sure. It's been a hell of a ride. Yeah, I, uh, I backed the Kickstarter, and uh, I got my book about two weeks ago, and I am it, it's a hell of a book, I've got to say. It's, 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 the, it's the best book on wargaming terrain I've ever seen. Thank you, thank you. Uh, it kind of surprised me and Dave, to be perfectly honest, as it came together. You know, I think both of us sort of, sort of marveled ourselves as, as pages came together and sections came together, and it, we realized what a beast it was going to become. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I, th I think the thing that really impresses me is how comprehensive it is. Um, so, you know, I, I've, I own uh, quite a few terrain board, uh, game books myself, uh, but I've never I've never really gotten deep into terrain building because starting from zero, you know, without any real basis of skills is, is kind of overwhelming. And so many books out there kind of take a piecemeal approach or they dive really deeply into a specific type of terrain. And uh, you, you really it's 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 holistic. It's, it's the whole scene. It's the, it's the whole thing, isn't it? It is. It is very much the whole scene. I actually have a background. I've actually taught in colleges, so I actually have a teaching background. Oh. So, so when it came to actually putting the books together, it was like, right, I, I took that approach of building knowledge, building on the sections before, all the underpinning knowledge and all the extra stuff like warping and color theory, modularization and those sort of things that sort of sit on the ancillary of terrain building. And it was like, right, what do we need? What does this? And it was a hell of a battle, to be truthful, to actually narrow it down to, right, make sure that we cover everything we want to cover, that is the essentials, but covering it in enough depth that it's actually useful. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the, the, the attention to detail there really, it goes such a long way. And, you know, you spend significant time just talking about materials. And that really impressed me because, you know, often when you pick up a terrain book or a terrain guide online, it sort of assumes that you know what MDF is or you know what kind of different kinds of styrofoam are called. And if you don't, you know, you're, you're, you're just at sea. And um, the, the, the attention you took to spending you know, pages and pages and pages going into that was impressive. But how, how, did you, how did you kind of start from that point? Like, you know, where, did you make a list and just expand from there or what did you do? I literally walked into my studio and just started writing down what I saw around me. <laughs> I mean, literally, for, with regards to the tools, it was like just walking what tools do you use? Get them out. You know, and it was very much, it wasn't a, oh, right, there's this, there's this, there's this. It was like, right, what's in this mug? You know? Yeah. And I have like all sorts of tools I've collected over a lifetime of doing this. And there's tools which I haven't seen in years. You know what I mean? And there's other tools that, yeah. you know, they're soaked in blood, sweat and tears. They get sure. used that often. You know, they're literally, they're, there's, as much DNA in them as there is in me. Of course. Yeah, so with the, the materials and the tools, it was very much like, right, first off, what do you really just basically need? The essentials, you know, because there's a, there's often a, a thing with terrain building that, you know, people look at the book or people look at the studio or what other people are doing, and they've got these massive workshop setups, and it's like, no, you don't need that. You just need something to cut with, something to sand with, and something to paint with tools-wise. 
and you're pretty much good to go on the kitchen table. Yeah, but there's lots of tools which do make terrain building a lot easier. So it's like, right, let's get those in. And then with the materials, the thinking was that the majority of the problems I help people with or when people say what's gone wrong with my build or this has gone wrong, it's always down to material failure. It's using mm. the wrong glue or the wrong material or it's warped because they based it on foam board and not MDF or EPVC. Yeah, the paint hasn't stuck, the glue hasn't fixed something and something's sure. fallen off or your grit's fallen off. Now, all that are, are material errors. And it just comes because no one's actually turned around and go, this sticks this and this together. You use this for this. You use this for this. Don't cut things bigger than this. You know, if you're going to do this, then do it. Because there's never been a collection of that basic, look, these are the bits and this is how you use them and this is what you use them for. Yeah, exactly. You know, and so by the idea was give a solid underpinning knowledge, yeah, of here are your tools, here are your materials, and this is what you stick and paint them with. Yeah, doesn't matter what you're going to build, it can't fail because of material knowledge. Yeah, and builds when you see builds on, on my Terraniacs group when they're asking for advice, it's very rarely creativity advice, it's sure. normally construction advice, you know. This hasn't worked out. So it's just about ruling out all of those problems. So people can just create, you know, from a solid foundation of knowledge. Yeah, and I, I found the book so so easy to reference too. Um, it, it occurred to me, you know, you, you really built it out like a proper textbook, didn't you? Did, did your background in education apply to that? Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. You know, the sections were laid down specifically. And actually, the book mimics the playlists on my channel. So oh, clever. If you look at like the buildings, look at the green work, look at the snow and water work, there's corresponding, what you call it, video, uh, corresponding playlists. Uh-huh. Yeah, for each of those sort of topics. And all the rest in the book very much falls under my back to basics playlist, which is all about materials and core techniques. So when I actually came to put in, right, what information terrain techniques wise do we want to put in it? It was very much a case of, right, let's have a look at my playlists. Yeah, that you makes know? sense. What a tremendous yeah. resource that is. Yeah. And it also, I mean, the book was, the idea of the book was to bring everything up to date. It wasn't to share secret knowledge because most of that stuff that's there is on the channel. Sure. It, it's just spread over 500 videos over seven years. Right. Yeah. And some are, you know, some are seven years old and I've learned a bit more about that material or that technique since then. Yeah, so rather than having to update 500 videos, the book was also another chance for me to go, right, here's everything on the channel, pretty much, you know, yeah, yeah up to date. Yeah, so the stuff I learned about PVA six years ago, well, I've learned a bit more about it, so that's in the book, because it wasn't sure. worth doing, you know what I mean? And it just gave me a, uh, an opportunity to put a line in the sand, yeah, and then, you know, moving forward, I can just basically go, well, I can progress from the channel and from the book and say, right, we're going to do this, this builds on this, this builds on this. I mean, for me personally, I'm really thinking about getting into water this year. And spending... Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's been some great YouTube channels come up, uh, Real Terrain Hobbies, a couple of others who've done some amazing water stuff. And... I really feel I've got a hankering really to get into water and just give it a, a solid year of, di you know, different techniques, different materials and everything until everything becomes a bit comfortable for me. Yeah. So 
you know, that will build on the book, if you know what I mean, because the core knowledge is already on the channel. So all that, you know, the terrain labs, you know, me buggering about and having a laugh, all that will expand from there. That's, that's very cool. Um, so actually, here's a question, Cindy. You've, you've been doing Terrain Tutor on YouTube for, I think you said, seven years now? Yeah. And uh, what, what, what got you started making YouTube videos in the first place? It was a recovery from a nervous breakdown. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, real life had just got on top of me, you know, obviously family things, so I won't go into sure. the details. But yeah, no, no. yeah, big crash, depression, anxiety, couldn't really connect with the phobe, agoraphobic. And YouTube was a, an opportunity for me to sort of connect, to, for me to present myself in a, a, I When you can't present yourself normally to the world because of the state you're in, YouTube gives you the opportunity to sort of edit the good bits and put them together and present you in a more favorable light. And it was a way of me like, you know, doing something, feeling productive, which is uh, really important when you're dealing with depression and stuff like that, you know, to have something to do, you know, and the feedback. And it worked wonders. You know, it helped me with my mental health for years. You know, the, the positive feedback and that sort of stuff. And then it became a living, you know, and it helps support the family. And now it's just my life. It's my passion. Yeah, that's that's what a great story. It's, the, the power a hobby has to really, like, improve people's lives and not just as, you know, a thing they do for fun is, is really incredible, isn't it? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I mean, the hobby pays off in so many different ways people don't even realize. And I don't I don't think they pick up on it until you step back and you actually look at the situation, you know, the sort of the skills you lose, you use. I mean, there's not many hobbies that have the reading time. Yeah. That come with the wargaming hobby. Yeah. I mean, you almost spend more time thinking and, um, and reading about the hobby than even engaging it. Don't you? Well, I mean, you know what it's like. It's like, Oh, hi, I'm a tabletop wargamer to rainmaker. I make models out of polystyrene and filler. And here's <laughs> my library. <laughs> you know, I mean, we've all got the I mean, well, most of us have got the 40k shelf of various editions, various yeah. supplements, the codexes for various armies, and it's a shelf. You know, and some people, it's a, it's a, it's a bootcase. You know yeah, what I mean? Guilty as charged there. You know, I mean, unless you unless your hobbies like biotech or astrophysics, there's not many hobbies which come with like the reference manuals. The re and the real the homework. Thing, I mean, the real thing is my terrain manual and say a few painting manuals are probably the only factual books in the entire industry. Because <laughs> the rest is just made up. It's, true. it's like, you know, so we've actually got books worth of reference material that we study, that we acknowledge is made up. And in some cases, it's literally got fantasy written on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, you know, there's lots of pays off. I mean, people who are in this hobby, you know, it develops the brain. I've always got my kids into it. You know, and I've always encouraged uh -huh. any other kids because you suck them in with the creativity and the gameplay, you know, but underneath there's all the strategic thinking, the planning, you know, uh, settling down into long projects. I mean, kids nowadays, their attention span is nothing. You know, it's down to something like 90 seconds when they're on the phone, you know. Yeah. I pull out a box of paints or something like that, day goes and they don't even look up. That's great. You know what I mean? So there's loads of payoffs for this for this hobby. But it's quite a strange hobby. It, it is, isn't it? You're sort of making the world in miniature. 
Well, it's not just that. I mean, I mean, you get into the historical sites. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, with a lot of people that get into the historical sites and they get a broad interest in all of the hist- history, you know, of the the period they're playing. And you know, with bolt action and things like that, you know, World War Two is very popular. But we're going all through, you know, to a, the antiquities of time. But for players like me, I mean, I play chindits in bolt action. Yeah, because I found the force interesting, which made me really hammer the history mm-hmm. yeah, behind Chin. So it's like I'm just a normal bloke in the street with a degree level knowledge of history in a very yeah. specific <laughs> theatre. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. but I couldn't really tell you beyond, you know, what I've seen on Hollywood movies with regards to the rest. Right. So you pull in. I mean, it's it's like you know you talk to the painters, and when we start talking to the painters and they start talking about like color theory, I mean, this is that they're talking like the high arts of the old artistic masters. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And it's like, have you have you actually seen what James Whipple looks like? I mean, dude. I, I mean, <laughs> he's a, he's a mixture between a, he's spent some time with him in Adepticon, yeah, and he's a mixture between a trucker and a hippie. And to hear him talk about classical art, you know, you, your brain goes, the fuck? Are you what? <laughs> you know, which is very much like when I open my gob and I start talking about, you know, colour theory, about light, about nature. I mean, I study geology, yeah? yeah, so I can understand how rocks are formed and what the crack is with sandstone. Because when you're replicating real terrain, the real trick to replicating things in nature is to understand how they form naturally. Sure. Yeah. And That's the reason, advice. well, the reason between is that we've got an, a, a trait, an evolutionary trait back from when we used to like run away from tigers on the, on the Serengeti. Uh-huh. Yeah. And basically the brain is geared to spot anything in nature that looks weird. Yeah. It's why we have, you know, it's, it's why you're pulled towards like shadows and things like that and little bits in nature and it's why mil- the military spends so much money on camouflage yeah it's not so much hiding it it's because your brain's focused on spotting it in case it's a tiger about to jump out and this translates into terrain so it's very easy when you're modeling something to do something which is actually very unrealistic yeah yeah like having uh, light dried grass in a depression where you would expect moisture and it to be darker and greener, that'll throw the brain out straight away. So understanding the nature of things, and it's a common theme in the book, you know, of look, you know, rocks get dirty because of where the water flows down on them. Right. Not just a general wash over them, you know, but if you've got a big crevice with dirt at the pot, dirty it up because that'll get washed down. And it's all about that combating that thing where you know you look at a table and you go no that's not right you don't know why it's not right yeah but your brain's just telling me that's iffy that's your that's the biological yeah that's the biological survival thing saying hey don't go near that so there's a lot of that with terrain building when you get into sort of making realistic stuff so you end up learning about i mean i ended up studying about volcanic minerals so i could understand why they're green and purple oh wow you know, and it's just these weird... I mean, what happens is you start off wanting to know the colour of an iceberg, 
Yeah. And then you end up down this like evening of deep diving YouTube documentaries on iceberg and glacial yeah. formations <laughs> because it just becomes fascinating and it's full of really good pictures. Yeah. And it, it's quite weird where this, this hobby will take you in so many different ways that there's people walking around, which, you know, are quite ordinary with degree level knowledges in history and, you know, in what you call it. I mean, if you get to the rule lawyers, and the statisticians, some of the stuff they're doing with their averages and the stats, you'd get banned in a casino for that sort yeah. of stuff. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, I, I can't say I was expecting to talk about evolutionary psychology in an interview about terrain, but I'm, I'm very pleased that we are. It, like I say, it's a hell of a rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's also one of those disciplines which, which I mean, artistically, terrain makers are poly polygrammatic, polo polychromatic sculptors mm. yeah uh which are basically we are the artisans of old yeah of old roman times when they used to make the statues and paint them basically we make 3d sculptures that are painted which is in fine art terms exactly the same as the old roman sculptures and the old ancient greek sculptures well, that's an interesting way to think about it yeah well, all right you know quite often our hobby is often seen at as a sideline it's not even seen as arts and crafts yeah yeah and then if you actually start putting you know the sort of painting jobs just most hobbyists can put out in miniature in front of people they're amazed and then when you start going to like hey have you seen this guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know you know when you come across one of those who's like they've painted like an entire scene on a shoulder pad uh -huh. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, okay, dude, you, you don't belong in miniature painting. Someone needs to give you a canvas and you need to leave yeah. us alone so we can get and appreciate our hobby. Right. You, know, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. do, you know, you're showing off now. Yeah, but, it, you know, the artistic talents and everything in, in this hobby is just truly amazing. You know, it's just we don't recognize it because it's not recognized. No one looks in and goes, Jesus Christ, if you want to know about World War II, Ask war, war gamers. Sure. Yeah, because they don't only know what forces were in the battle. They knew how many nuts were on the watch on the right, wagons. The name of the camouflage pattern. Yeah, exactly. What shade green it was. Yeah. You know, and there's such a collective resource of information. I mean, look at painting. I mean, look at how many painters we've got out there. Same with terrain making. Yeah, and this will roll into 3D sculpting with what you call it with 3D printing and that sort of stuff. You know. And so it's a hell of a, an industry to be involved in, a hell of a creative industry and a hell of a knowledge pool that we we all just treat as a little bit of a laugh rolling dice. Yeah, and I, I think there, there is, even in the scene, there isn't necessarily enough appreciation for how important and great uh, terrain making is. You know, I think, as you were saying, people, you know, they'll see the, the guy painting the, the miniature portrait on somebody's shoulder pad and ooh and ah over that. But, you know, when you show them a really beautifully crafted piece of terrain, it's like, oh, that's a nice rock. Yeah. And I, I think I think... I think part of it is the accessibility. People don't know what goes into making a really good piece of terrain, do they? I think one of the problems is for a long time, you only saw it at the studios, you know, i.e. Games Workshop and some of the, you know. Sure. The, yeah, and it was only presented in rule books. You know, I think the explosion of, of terrain making channels like my own and, you know, others that followed and others that were there before. If people go looking, they start to realize, you know, actually there's a lot of work in that to make it look like that. You know, I think appreciation of terrain is coming because people are starting to see that it's not a couple of soda cans with some cardboard stuck to it now. Right. 
Which, in all honesty, you know, that's what it was for the vast majority of us. I mean, if yeah. you go back, if you go back and look at some of the GW train making books, it literally is that's what it was because that was the standard. It was only when GW got the Lord of the Rings contract that the standard in terrain increased in Wargame. That's a great point. I never considered that. No, I mean, if you go back, you can literally see. Yeah, if you remember, round about the time that GW got the Lord of the Rings contract, yeah, it was the time when it was the crazy orcs with the red and the glare and all the terrain uh -huh. was stylized. And the moment, watch God, I remember the moment they got the Lord of the Rings contract because White Dwarf had a watch call it uh, a terrain tutorial in it for mm -hmm. a Rohan building, yeah, right, and it was beautiful. And uh, then they the was that the burned out one. There was a way to make it with like like damage and such on it. They, that followed up, but this was a yeah, full okay. complete one. But it was on the stone base, and it got the the carvings, the wood carvings, and they followed it up with a lookout tower and a few other bits. But they placed it on watch glit on a really nice display board. And the the clearest illustration of this is if you get uh, the old blue terrain book and you flick through the tables in it you'll go through and you'll see every single one of the gw tables with like scattered terrain in the standard style that you saw from white dwarf and then just at the back there's some lord of the Rings stuff and you see gw's first sort of really fully featured landscaped mm -hmm. piece that looked realistic and i can remember talking to one of the guys down there about it yeah and they said at the time it was because they had to raise their standards yeah, to meet yeah, they, the movie. They needed that yeah. cinematic look, right? Yeah, yeah. And so they brought that in, and obviously that sort of like raised the standards of terrain, you know, and it just rolled from there. And then obviously the plastic kits came in, you know, that increased detailing. Then we had the golden age of MDF, where everything was MDF. And, right. You know, I mean, at one point, you know, it was all plastic and even the table was plastic and the trees were plastic. And then it became all MDF and the only thing they couldn't make was trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm sure, yeah, there's been many I mean, they can make tree bases and wood bases and all that sort of stuff. But um, there's been many tears shed about the fact that we can't do trees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and now, now we're rolling into 3D printing, you know, which is yeah. just just a shift of manufacturing point, essentially, for the vast majority of war gamers. Yeah, no, it, that's an interesting thing, too, is just the, the increasing accessibility of some of the more complex things to do in terrain. Like, you know, as you were saying previously, it was all sort of simple stuff made out of, you know, stuff you had lying around your house, and then the more, more complex scratch belt kits and onto MDF and plastic kits and so forth. But one of the things I really like about the situation right now is that because we have all these options the entry points are easier. I feel like, you know, I, I'm, I'm far from an accomplished terrain maker, but like I have much less trepidation about, you know, if I want to, if I want to have a nice looking house on my table, I could buy an MDF one and then I could, you know, go look at a book like yours and, and make it look better than I, it would just out of the kit. Can't you? Yeah, exactly. I mean, to be truthful, it's along those lines that I'm thinking for the future with regards to other books and stuff like yeah. that. But the fact of the matter is, yeah, we've been making foam, hard foam buildings, yeah, from GW for donkey's years. We've had plastic buildings from DW for donkey's years. Long before that, yeah, we had resin casts. Yeah. Sure. So the idea of, of pre-existing terrain, plonking it down on the table, has been around for a long time. I mean, the one of the things, one of the jobs 
as the terrain tutor and one of the jobs of the book is to say hey this is how you base it and tie it in and you know what i mean make it look beautiful and part of a set sure. rather than it just being a collection of terrain put put down but there will always be new ways of manufacture i mean i'm just playing with 3d printing now and i can see the benefit of it i can see how i can complement it i can see how i can build it bring it into my terrain building and at the end of the end of the day anything that builds terrain or enables terrain getting built enables gameplay yeah so just because you go down a 3d print or down a mdf route doesn't exclude the rest of the terrain making it just means hey that can come later down the line when you're raising the standard of, of your table. Yeah. You know, and everyone raises the standard of their armies. No one goes, right, I've learned how to dry brush and I can do a wash and that's it. You know, no one goes, right, I, I can paint three colours. That's my painting for the rest of my life. Oh, well, there's a couple. Yeah. <laughs> there's always a couple, yeah, in a hobby this big. But the majority of people, you know, they take on new armies also because they want to paint a better army now they've they got push themselves. yeah exactly new techniques you know uh display what they've gained in previous what they've learned and that sort of stuff and the same for terrain you know you can buy your terrain manufacture your terrain put your kits together print it but much like with armies you know you want the visual spectacle and the table is the display so it will get tarted up yeah the key is to make sure here's all the information for tarting right. up uh, you know, one of the things I'm really impressed with in the book is, is one of the first things in the book, which is the uh, the terrain tutor's uh, design triad. And yep. you, sort of, you sort of laid out this idea that, you know, any piece of terrain is, that's going to be used in gaming, it, it, there, are, there are sort of three points to consider, and that's durability, realism, and functionality, and how you how you decide where your, your piece is going to fall on that spectrum, uh, in, you know, informs how you're going to build it. I'd, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that, because I think it's such a great way to consider from, you know, from the very start how you're building your terrain before you've even, you know, bought a single tree or, or glued a base to, uh, you know, a, it, a building. Well, the thing is, I mean, the point about the triad is it's the decision maker. Yeah. And what I mean by that is by, by deciding where you're going to be using the model, you know, a kids or a club players or a tournament player is going to be giving it loads of hammer, you know, or is this going to be handled by friends, you know, Right. How durable does it need to be? Right. Does it need to be pretty or does it need to be functional? Does it need to fit certain squads? You know, is mm -hmm. it integral or is it just a space taker upper? Yeah. And then how realistic it has to be. And realism, you know, the realism of a piece often comes with how delicate it is and the small features. Yeah. Which, you know, doesn't really go with the club players and the tournament players. You know, especially when it comes to stacking the stuff away and, you know. Oh, sure. Exactly. You know, quick. So there's all these considerations. The purpose of the triad is to decide this right at the start so that whenever you come to a, P, uh, a point in the terrain-making process where you go, well, should I put this here or shouldn't I do this? You have the decision made. Yeah, right. No, mm -hmm. if I put that there, it's going to get broken. Leave it off. You know, it's the uh -huh. acceptance that, no, leave fragile stuff off this or the acceptance of... Don't clutter it up and make sure there's loads of playable space on it. You know, it also sets the standard of how far do I take this model? Right. Yeah. I mean, with terrain making, it's even worse. I mean, with mo with, with model painting, you know, we, we, we do a good paint job, but we all of us with a nice model will tinker. 
you yeah. know, and you know, and try and take you know, and one of the things with the realism question is, well, okay, how realistic does it have to be? Yeah. Am I spending too much on this piece, which is only going to be a club piece and I need to knock out another ten to be truthful? You do you know what I mean? It's a decision oh, maker. Yeah. Yeah. So the triad just makes those decisions up, up front for you so that as you go through the decisions you make, yeah end up with a piece that suits the gaming environment and the setting you want to play it in. Right. I mean, just to sort of put a point on it, you know, the needs of a, a piece that's going to be used in a tournament are very different from, you know, what your diorama pieces are going to look like, right? That's sort of the heart of it. Exactly. And that comes down to storage and durability and also balance with other pieces to make for playable games that aren't unbalanced for tournaments. You know, so there's a whole range, of, a whole gambit of different little factors that if you're building terrain for a tournament or if you're building uh, terrain for a demo game, yeah, they're totally different. You know, uh, if you're building for demo games, keeping the terrain simple, but really nice and attractive. Sure. Yeah. So that it doesn't complicate the gameplay. So people who play a demo game for the first time don't think, oh, this is awkward because so if a rule set, right. so let's say uh, a rule set's got a particularly like awkward bit of way of fighting over a wall. Yeah, that's, you know, this is a bit pininicky. Could it, it'll get sorted in FAQ. Right, maybe so, don't put the wall on your demo table. Yeah, exactly. So you don't introduce the mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if, the, if you're demoing a game that's got a bl bloody awful water mechanic, guess what? It's dry land everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I have uh, actually encountered that exact experience in a demo game many years ago. Well, you do, and people put these things, and they, they go for visuals, and it's like, no, the demo board is to demo the game. You want a good experience from that, you know, especially if you're doing something like a, a club participation game or something like that, where you're bringing mm -hmm. people in and you're marshalling a big game. You know, if a, if a rule set's got something really complicated that you as war gamers struggle with, you know, introducing new gamers and part, you know, particip participation play. But yeah, bin that straight off the table. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, that doesn't exist. If they want to find out about that, they can buy the rule set. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, but this is all about looking at the end experience that you want to give. You know, do you want a really good, durable piece of terrain that's simple, looks good on a table, yeah, but really enables gameplay for clubs and tournaments and stuff like that? Or do you want something that's going to sit on your own personal table, yeah, for years and look sure. absolute, you know, and it's those decisions and everything in between, you know what I mean? Because the decisions are never that flat. You know, there's clubs, there's, you know, there's small groups, there's doing commissions, there's helping a mate out, there's helping the local game store out, there's show yeah. tables, there's charity tables, every, you know, everything under the sun. So it just helps, the triad helps just like, right, know what you're building. And it's just part of the planning process of, well, decide it as part of the planning process. You know, how durable, how realistic and how functional does it need to be? and then focus on the priorities. Yeah, you know, I, I was so impressed when the, the book kind of opens with that material because it's it's something you don't, you know, usually when you see a terrain guy, it's just like, you know, here's your base, put your flock on it, et cetera, et cetera. And actually giving thought to the philosophy behind the terrain was really, really impressive to me. I, I thought that it's going to inform how I approach it. And I, I think it even has, you know, some some value in the rest of the hobby as well. And um, it's, it's, it's such a great way to, to just begin the book. 
Oh. You, it, it's the teacher man to fish principle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Here's the underpinning knowledge. Here's how I approach it. Here's how I think about it. I'm not saying it's the right way. I'm just saying it's the way I do it. It's worked for me, you know, but some be, having some way of approaching it and some foundation knowledge when it comes to planning and, you know, design and that sort of stuff is bound to help when you're making stuff. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, the amount of times that people just wing these things and then get frustrated. And it's like, look, you're going to be spending let's say eight hours in total building that cottage. Yeah. Between getting the materials to it on the tabletop. Once it's on the tabletop, you're going to be playing with it for, let's say 120 hours over the next couple of years. Sure, That's got to be worth at least an hour or two with a bit of paper and just, you know, make sure you're on the right line before you start yeah. building it, you know, and it's just putting that framework of like, you know, you plan an army. You know, this is more of a commitment than an army is. Yeah, because you'll be using this terrain longer than you're using that army. Oh, almost certainly, yeah. Because, you know, we swap our armies like our underpants nowadays. Sure. Especially with the rise of the small skirmish game. Yeah. You know, so, but rocks are eternal. Yeah. <laughs> well said. Uh, actually, here, here's a question for you. Um what, what do you like to play? You know, not in, outside of tournament. What, what gets you excited about a new army or game? Oh, right. Okay. Uh, I'm a long-time bolt-action player. Yeah, but I've got decades of 40k and fantasy under me. Yeah, yeah. with Warhammer, you know. Uh, I actually I actually found bolt-action because I, was, so I stepped away from 40k because it became a bit of an arms race at the time. It was one of those that you had to keep up, you know. Sure. And, you know, so I sort of stepped back. Same time with the family problems that brought me to the channel. And so I floated into a few different other systems. But uh, I'm coming back into 40k at the minute. And what you call it, I'm really getting into Kill Team with my lad. So we've oh, got cool. a, lot, a lot of Mechanica stuff going on. I've got about I've got about £500 worth of Mechanica stuff sitting on a shelf behind me in all different states. Awesome. Yeah, that I need to embed in a modular board, but I'm torn over whether to do a modular board or not. Yeah, uh, I play Chindit Symbol Action. Uh, after that, I've got an interest in Gaslands. Yeah, that's uh-huh. that's perking my interests. Yeah, but I've got to sort of convince her. I've got a friend who's interested in, in playing it, but I can't really get into that until we get out of lockdown. Yeah, sure. and yeah. You know, yeah, we can get together and actually game again properly. Yeah, which is a challenge, obviously. Uh, but after that, a lot of my stuff res- revolves around actually Hero Quest and Dungeon oh, cool. Saga and stuff like that because it's stuff I did with the kids. Yeah. Yeah, so they've grown up sort of building dungeons and casting her starts blocks. And we do. Wow, a- yeah. yeah, you know, it's just what they've done growing up. But game wise, kill team and bolt action at the minute. Yeah, but. I've been missing it with lockdown and with this year and finishing yeah. the book. So I'm looking forward. I mean, just prior to what you call it, just prior to uh, the COVID coming on around the world, I was just in the process of setting up a gaming club at the studios where I'm based because there's a few artists down there who play 40K and other games. Oh, sure. And we were just about to get a common area off the studio holders and set up a dedicated gaming club and start a new gaming club. And obviously, you know, lockdown yeah. hit and COVID yeah. and that sort of stuff. 
2020. Yeah, well, 2020 and rolling into 2021 at the it moment. We are. You know, there's hope, you know, on various fronts and that sort yeah. of stuff. You know, so the light is looking better. It's just, it'll be good to have an end date. Yes, you know, it certainly will. Yeah, I can, I, can, I can tolerate most things. Yeah, but not knowing how long it's going to go on for is the one I struggle with. Yeah, I think that's difficult for everyone, just the uncertainty of it, even if there is a light at the end of the tunnel now. Yeah, I mean, generally, if you know there's an end point to something and you know when it is, you know, you can generally get through things a lot better. I mean, over in the UK, we've had a few, you know, we've had a few national lockdowns. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like, here we go again, sort of stage. And, you know, that doesn't do the mental health and that sort of stuff, yeah. well, you know, because it's like, we, do, you know, uh, our government have just announced that, what you call it, they're planning to come out of lockdown, but they're looking for an irreversible yeah, sort of root out of lockdown, which is basically what they're saying is we're going to be cautious, but we're not going back into lockdown after this. And yeah. I think there's been a general acknowledgement that, okay, look, you know, it was supposed to be a couple of weeks, six weeks. Yeah, March last year. Sure. Yeah, we need an end to this now. Now the vaccine's rolling out heavily. Let's get this ended. And so I'll be glad to get gaming again, to be perfectly honest. Oh, I think we all will. Mm, I've missed the conventions. It's really stark. Yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a real bummer. <laughs> like you know, I, I I had big convention plans for Brush Brothers Union in twenty twenty, and you know that all immediately went out the window. And hopefully twenty twenty two, we'll see what happens. Well, I booked flights to Adepticon, yeah, and then America, yeah. cl- and then America closed the watch call it uh, the flights the next day, Oof. just after I'd paid for them. Oh, yeah. Man. So that was a hassle and a half, but I was really looking forward to Adepticon and hearing it's been pushed back. And in the UK, we've had a, full, a few sort of convert, big conventions sort of say, right, tentatively, we're going for this. And most of them that have gone for something have gone well in advance. Yeah. Like either tail end of 21 or 2022. Say, you know, our next convention is going to be here when we can be absolutely sure. Sure. You know? And so we're just waiting, you know, but it'll be good to roll some dice again. Yes, it certainly will. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I really empathize with you. I'm dying to get some proper gaming in. It's been far too long. Yeah. And just just to see some people, right? You know, all my friends from Brush Brothers Union and people I only see at conventions every year. Like, I miss everybody. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, well, there is a social side to this, isn't there? Absolutely. Especially if you're involved in the social media side of this. You know, if you are active in social media, you know, you don't even have to have a YouTube channel or be a particular sort of asset or anything yet for you to go to conventions and there's be loads of people you know really well who you've never met. You know, I mean, you get gaming groups like that at Adepticon all the time, guys meeting up because they've met in a a forum. Yeah. Oh, you know, and, and that sort of stuff. So... Yeah, I've really missed it because it's like I'm speaking to people, loads of people, and it's like I want to get drunk with you again. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, there's there's, a, there's an old fashioned and a shrimp cocktail at uh, Harry and Izzy's in Indianapolis that I has my name on it, and I am I'm dying to get back there. Oh, there is a bottle of vodka that needs to be put down on the Adepticon table after hours. Yeah, yeah and just catch up with old friends. You know For what I mean? Sure. No, yeah, absolutely. One of the things I've been trying to do is I've been trying to find like group projects I can do with friends that we can kind of work together on remotely 
that we'll be able to play together when the time comes. Like, I, the first one, we even have a combined arms, we'll game again, pin thing that, you know, people can join up and, and get. Right. And I'm trying to, trying to do these sort of things just to encourage myself and other people to, like, you know, if you work on this project now, it'll be something you can look forward to when the time comes. I find that kind of stuff takes the edge off a little bit. I like the, I mean, I, back in the day, I used to write a, a blog about campaign rules called Going on Campaign. Yeah. And I loved campaigns for that sort of stuff, for the downtime, for the planning. Yeah. Because you could just plan a massive campaign and, you know, you just build up the interest before going out. It's very much with terrain building. You know, I'm pottering along. I've got lots of things. I think one of the downsides and one of the, the one of the motivating problems at the moment is the fact that I don't know when I'm going to be gaming on my terrain. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? And so it'll be nice to get gaming, get rolling again and get the social side of this hobby. I mean, we all knew that, you know, actually we're all quite insular people and most of that yeah. hobby most of most of our actual hobbying you know for it to be a social hobby is done alone <laughs> you know and we all don't like looking at the watch at the great uh, wargaming surveys results where we actually yeah I, you know, I don't want to admit that <laughs> you know what i mean I, I don't want to admit that for my social yeah. hobby with my friends actually i spend most of it you know alone and i have all over it too, in the middle of the night yeah you know, uh, that, you know, it's another rabbit hole, but it'll be good to roll dice. It'll be good to see people again, see people smiling and playing over tables yeah. again. And in the meantime, we've just got to crack on, you know? Yeah, that's all you can do. Um, so here's a question. When, you, when, you're, when you're thinking about a new terrain project, or actually, how do you start thinking about a new terrain project? Is it, do you find that you've started a new army and you're like, oh, I've got these, these Mechanicus guys. It would be cool to have a Mechanicus table. Or are you ever out just walking around and you see like, Oh, what a cool looking tree or bit of landscape. I would like to build a table of that. It's it's rare when I'm walking about that I see yeah. anything. Yeah. And it's just simply because, you know, the na you know, nature in, in Europe is pretty much greenfield. I grew sure. up in the mountains in North Wales, you know. I was in the services, so I spent a lot of time in woods and <laughs> through rivers uh -huh. and greenfield. And so I'm well used to it. So there's very rarely anything in real life that comes along that I go, ooh, I'd like to model that. Sometimes, you know, you see things online, you know, of salt falls and, you know, uh -huh. deserts and all sorts of things, you know, around the world. And I'll get the, ooh, that's nice. But more often it's rule sets. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll have a, a rule set will come along with a certain setting that will give me an opportunity to do a certain type of build. Yeah, and it'll be like, oh, yeah. A uh, couple of examples is with Gaslands, I've got this sort of desert feel build. Yeah, that runs on an old Milky Bar advert. Yeah, about a red car and a blue car having a race. Yeah, it's, a, it's an advert in the UK from when I was a child. But it was uh, two cars sort of racing after a cartoon of two cars racing uh -huh. after a chocolate bar, a milky bar. And it had a catchy song with it. You know what I mean? But they were, they were going down this road that weaved over each other and with jumps and things like that. Sort of like two roads running parallel but crossing yeah. over. Sure. Yeah. And then that sort of like kicked off a memory of playing supercars on the Commodore on the Amiga which was very much the same. And then out of the back of that, Gaslands came along and it was like, oh, that gives me an opportunity to make, yeah, yeah quite a cool sort of like car racing table <laughs> with jumps and cactuses and stuff like that. Yeah, so quite often it'll be a rule set. Another one was uh, X-Wing. 
you know, I had an idea about uh, a cavern run racing game. Yeah, in an un- un- underground sort of cooling facility for a reactor. Oh, cool. Yeah, but based on X-Wings. So the X-Wings and TIE fighters would be flying around it. Yeah, but that came from the Star Wars theme and the rule set. I, I looked at the rule set and said, ooh, I could make a board that does this. And then the framework built up and the setting built out of it. Do you know what I mean? So quite yeah. often, when I quite often I you know it'll be like oh frost grades come out oh that's that's an opportunity for me to have play with some snow. Sure. Yeah. So more often than not, it's actually rule sets. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. That come out that give me an opportunity, and it can either be an opportunity for me to scratch an itch that's been rattling round, and you know I've got notes on in one of my notebooks from years ago that I was thinking about it. It's like all right, I can do that now. Yeah. yeah, or it's just like the man child in me, like, oh, big shiny, let's make that. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a follow up: is there is there a white whale for you in terrain making? Something that you you've always wanted to do, but you've just never quite gotten around to, or have been stymied by the process, or some such? Uh, pr- the one I've never really got round to is small scale terrain. You know, the one three hundred stuff, the macro armor. Uh-huh. Yeah, where you're doing where like you know a. a an M1 Abrams is like, you know, 11, 12 millimeters long, sure. <laughs> you know, and so getting the landscape and that, that's a bit of a whale for me because I've never really got the, the chance to really go in depth and, you know, other than a few little token pieces. Yeah. I've never really gone down that route with regards to what I don't really like. Yeah. To be honest, there's no real terrain which I shy away from, except yeah. for long roads. I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Warping. Oh yeah, yeah. It is. Is it? I mean, I'm sure it's the terrain makers, the terrain gods curse on me. Yeah, that I can make any other bit of terrain that doesn't warp. I mean, I've got entire video sections in the book. Yeah, about warping. I've made videos about countering uh-huh. warping. And it's all because of straight roads. <laughs> Everything I know about, it's all come from straight roads. <laughs> I hate them. Yeah, give me a curved road any day or no road. You know, I mean, I mean literally, I mean, if it's a top-end project and they ask for roads, I'm more likely to go, do you want me to just make your boards instead? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> rather than risk having them walk. Yeah. yeah, and it's not all of them, but there'll always be one. It just yeah. takes that and one it, piece, right? Oh, and I have no idea why. And I'll tell you, I've done everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and the lucky thing is, you know, as in the book, you know, the book's full of not just how to avoid warping, but how to fix it when it warps. Yeah. You know, and that's come from that, you know, typically that one, one straight road over and yeah. over again. Like, you are getting straight, boy. I am not having this. All right, where's my PVA? <laughs> All right, so straight roads, be warned. Yeah. Uh, well, it's in the book. You, yeah. you, you can tackle it. You can fight the warp. Brother Malachus to the rescue. Good to know. And uh, and you're, you said you're getting, this is going to be the year of uh, water effects for you, huh? Yeah, yeah. I like to concentrate on things. So I'm going to tail off. I'm going to I'm going to have a play with teddy bear fur and acrylic battle mats uh, up till the summer. Yeah, and just round off what I was doing before I started the book. And just like that, so that's getting, basically the way I do things is I pick a genre, 
yeah of terrain making whether it be a setting whether it be a technique whether it be a you know a material and i hammer it over and over again until i know it yeah and so tail end just before the book i was working on acrylic battle mats so working out what acrylic works what ratios work whether to mix or to sprinkle aggregates with it you know what glues to use you know, and I've been testing them over years and that sort of stuff to see, you know, what the effect is. So I've been doing all that sort of stuff. And I was supposed to roll into doing teddy bear for to wrap it up and I never got round to it. So I want to roll back into that, get that knowledge finish, finished. My resin and my acrylic water work is pretty good, but there's been a lot of new techniques introduced to the hobby by quite a few other YouTubers and other people. And it's like, right. I need to have a play with those and see where they sit within my toolbox and within sure. my palette, palette of, of, you know, of techniques for, for re- reproducing things, because, you know, there's some water techniques that are actually solid and not acrylic or resin based, which make really durable water effects. Interesting. Yeah. Which, you know, that's what you want for what you call it for like, tournaments and stuff like that yeah so there's definitely an application with what's gone on beyond how realistic it looks so there's been a load of new materials and a load of new techniques or some new materials and some new techniques some old ones that have been brought back up to the fourth from the days before you know and revamped and that sort of stuff so i really want to dive in and hopefully by the end of the year just feel like yeah you know if someone asks a question on water i feel covered you know, because at sure. the minute I don't, yeah, moving beyond acrylic and basic stucco techniques and, and resins and stuff like that. So there's a few techniques I want to get up to speed on, just like with the 3D printing and, and playing around with the 3D printing. I mean, the good thing with 3D printing is it, it, it's very much point and click. You know, yeah. it doesn't take long for you to understand how to 3D print. After that, the only real thing is, do you want to download files or do you want to become a 3D designer? Right. You know what I mean? Which is, off you go. Have fun. Right. Yeah. yeah. Post your stuff endeavor. to Thingiverse and we'll all benefit, you know. Yeah. Give me the SLA. <laughs> yeah. But that's very much where I'm focused, you know, picking things, making sure I'm up to speed. I know the problems. I know the applications. And then just bringing them into my builds when I want, but learning and I'm sharing them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so actually, here's kind of one, one last big question for you. With Train Essentials out, uh, do you see doing follow-up books? Yes. Great. I'm <laughs> <Can you talk laughs> <about>? uh, <laughs> excited. Anything in particular in mind that you can talk about? If not, yeah. that's cool. But To be truthful, I can't talk about it because sure. even me and Dave, beyond saying look, you know, another doing another book would be good if we can do the same as what we've done with Terrain Essentials. Yeah. I, one thing I don't want to do is just ride on, on the, the sort of coattails of, you know, the first book's success and devalue it sure. by jumping on the bandwagon and knocking out something. Terrain Essentials is a brilliant book because of the amount of work that went into it. Not just in writing it, but composing it. Dave working out the best way to illustrate, you know. I mean, if it was down to me, it'd be a technical manual. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, literally like yeah. a technical manual. Dave, Dave brought everything to life, you know. He pulled Tanya in to do the illustrations. And so he set the bar. We, well, we've set the bar really high in presentation, 
information and usefulness, practical usefulness. Yeah. You know, it's full of practical information, you know. And so the important thing is, right, if we do another book, which we'd both like to, now the dust is settled, you know, it's got to add value to it. Yeah. And so I've got a few ideas and, you know, it runs along the train essentials and it fills some some areas, you know, I'd like to have gone into in more depth, like the feature boards. Uh -huh. Feature boards aren't essential. You know, no one starts wargaming and goes, right, I need to build a feature board. No, you don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they are no way essential to wargaming. A table sure. is essential. Yeah. A covering, some terrain to put on it. That's essential. Feature boards aren't. So there's the whole element of feature boards to go into. There's also composition as well and, and, and talking about the different environments and that sort of stuff because terrain essentials covers the essentials because most of the essentials are either green or grey. Yeah. Yeah, when you go to a wargaming show, it's, you know, either a load of green tables or a load of grey tables, and then you've got some smackerings of snow, deserts, spacey, <laughs> You know, sure. so there's a load of other environments, you know, to explore as well, if you know what I mean. Oh, I do, yeah. yeah, which, you know, if it's going to go down, you know, if we're going to go, that will be the route it sort of goes. You know, like, right, these are the essentials for all these extreme environments. Here's what we do about building feature boards. You know what I mean? Which it very much rounds off. You know, right, if you've got, I'm hoping when we get to that stage that, you know, if you've got both books, well, there's nothing else you really need to know. Yeah. No, I think you're, you're, you're well on the way. You know, I've got to say uh, Terrain Essentials, it's, it's the first truly definitive book on, on wargaming terrain I think I've ever seen. And you should, Thank you. you should be extremely proud of it. It's, it's a hell of a book. It even impressed me. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, no, I mean, literally, I sit down and sometimes, and, you know, I've got the books here, obviously. You know, sometimes I just flick through it and it's like, I mean, there's sections in it that I, I, I hadn't seen in a year when we were doing the final proofing. Yeah. You know, because I wrote them and it's like, damn. You know, so, yeah, it, I'm, it's rare I'm proud of an achievement, yeah, as a person. You know, I tend to play things down, but... Sure. It's a, it is a hell of a book. Dave did a hell of a job laying out the horrendous amount of, I mean, he, that poor bloke, he got sucked. I feel like he got suckered into it because he, he went, right, I want I want you to say everything you know about terrain building. And I don't think he really understood how yeah. much I knew about terrain building. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we even had a discussions over, okay, how small of the font can it be? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, you know, it wasn't a matter of just right. What sections do we include? Right, how do we what what do we trim out? You know, to make yeah. sure that it's a. I mean, there's entire sections that were wrote that aren't in the book. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, because I, there there were other sections that we know that needs to be in the book. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I I run a small publishing company myself, and you know, just just having looked at the book and having an idea of what must have gone into it just blows blows my mind. You, you guys, it's 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 quite the accomplishment. I mean, ninety thousand words and five hundred and fifty pictures. And the photography is beautiful. It really is. Yeah, yeah, it's worked out really well. So it has turned out as a good book, and you know, it's been really well received by you know the community, and that's great. I'm just looking forward to getting back into the YouTube side of things now for sure. a while. 
you know, get my old mojo on, get get messy, have a laugh. And yeah. then, you know, with regards to book two, uh, follow Dave Taylor. All right. They should be doing that anyway. Dave's actually another a, a brush holder community member himself, so I hope everybody's already check, checking his stuff out. Well, I should um, do. I mean, yeah. I believe he has got other book projects coming up as well because yeah. he's had things in holding path, and th there's one I know of that I am definitely getting on board on, so definitely keep an eye on Dave's post soon. For sure. And, uh, but yeah, so uh, Terrain essentially was a Kickstarter, but it's out in the world now and uh, it's available for sale to the general public at this point, correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, if you get, uh, if you're in the US and your friendly local game store works with Bridge or Alliance Distribution, they can get it from them. If you're anywhere else in the world, uh, your friendly local game store can get it from Warlord Games, the distribution side of that. Yeah, so if they've got bolt action products or anything like that, they will be able to order you the book. Online, watch if you if you can't get through the FLGS, yeah, which we do recommend, you know, we sure. do support bricks and mortar completely. But if you can't, Ironheart Artisans in the US and Canada, and then Warlord Games in the UK and rest of the world, yeah, are supplying it direct as well. Yeah. But I would say if you want if you do want a copy, jump on it quick. Yeah, because it seems more popular than we thought it would oh, be. Wow. That's great. Cool. Well, uh, Mel, again, thank you so much for spending the time and talking with me. I'm really excited to dig into this book myself. I've got some uh, Mediterranean training I'm going to be doing for Mortal Ooh, Gods this nice. year. Well, make yeah. sure you, you stock up on your okra. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you know why you've got to stock up on your okra? I have no idea. I'm laughing because okra is a funny word to me, but go on and tell me. Well, okra is an artistic color, yeah, and it's perfect for replicating the color of the Mediterranean ground oh. because its pigment is Mediterranean ground. Interesting. <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're using synthetic and artificial pigments sure. now. Yeah, but in the classical days, you'd be war painting your Mediterranean uh, art uh, table with a uh, Mediterranean ground. Yeah. <laughs> but you crack on, buddy, and I hope it turns out great for you. Thanks, Bill. I can't wait to get into the book and do it myself. So I uh, have a great one. Hopefully, maybe one of these days we'll have a beer and play a game in person. It sounds like a plan. Look forward to it. Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.